Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. <clears throat> it's a beautiful day here in Joburg. It is just creeping up on 10 past 2. It's Wednesday and it means it's time for another episode of Judaism 101.9. So welcome and uh, let's get right into it. We are going to be talking, as we always do, about things that are coming up in the uh, calendar, about the week ahead, about um, things that we perhaps should know, have forgotten, maybe didn't ever know, maybe did know, and uh, just need a little bit of a reminder and a polish up on certain things to do with Judaism. And we'll begin right away with today. What is today in Jewish history? Today is the 26th day of the month of Iyar. We've spoken before about the month of Iyar, this special month that we're in, in which each and every day of the month has something unique about it, and that is that it has the obligation for every day of the month to count Svirata Omer, the counting of the Omer. And of course, we're coming towards the back end of that uh, count um, because the festival, the Chag of Shavuot of Shavuot is coming up very soon. We're going to touch on that a little bit later on. But let's think about what today is, this 26th day. And we all know that the day number 26 or the number 26 per se is a very, very holy and special number. And perhaps that has a bearing on some of the things that we're going to be talking about in a moment. And that is that the number 26, of course, is the numerical value of Hashem's holy name, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He added together of God's holy name add up to 26. So perhaps that has a bearing on today being the 26th day of Iyar. Now, there are a number of very, very important things that happened throughout Jewish history on this day. The first one we're going to touch on is in the year 942. Remember now we're in the year, and I'm talking about in the <coughs> in the uh, English calendar, in the secular calendar. We're now in the year, of course, 2023. Now we're going back to 942. It's a uh, long time ago. And if we think about something that happened then in 1747... And we'll then reflect on something that happened in 1857, and then something that happened in 1967. Yeah, a lot of sevens in there, but let's run all the way back to our very first number, 942, in the year 942. That is the day that marks the Yorzeit of Rabbi Sadia Gaon. Sadia Gaon. Now, it's a name you've possibly heard of before. Not quite sure where he fits in or what he was all about. Well, we'll tell you. He was actually the author of Emunus Vedeus, Emunot Vedeot, one of the earliest works of Jewish philosophy. And we've got to remember that the title Gaon, his name was Sadia, the title Gaon, was given to the leaders of the community. His real name was Rabbi Saadia ben Yosef, and he was one of the last and one of the most famous of what are known as the Gaonim or Gaonim, a great Talmudic scholar, Jewish philosopher, and inspiring leader um, who lived in the post-Talmudic Babylonian times. So we've got to remember the Jewish people were exiled and went to Babylon. The Babylonian community continued there uh, for some time thereafter and, of course, became one of the seats and the foundations of the Babylonian Talmud as we know it. Well, the Rabbi Saadia Gaon 
Rabbi Saadia ben Yosef, was one of the later leaders. They became known as the leaders of the Gola, the leaders of the diaspora. Um, they were the heads of the diaspora community. And Rabbi Saadia Gaon was very famous for a number of um, battles that he had to fight from a philosophical, from a Jewish point of view, protecting Torah. In fact, later on, the Rambam, Maimonides, speaks about him as being one of the greats of uh, making sure that Torah could have been carried forward um, to the time of the Rambam and, of course, um, onward to today, uh, which otherwise would have, in his opinion, have been lost because Rabbi Sadia Gaon was not only a great Talmudist and a great teacher and a great philosopher, but he also had to fight certain battles um, which were most unusual, philosophical, spiritual battles. And the first one was... With the Karaites. Now, the Karaites was a group of people who got together and decided that they were going to now, let's call it reform certain things in Judaism, go back to um, the written Torah itself and only, and try and formulate new ideas and so on to come directly from that. And with that, they uh, penciled through and they crossed out anything to do with the Talmud, anything to do with the oral law, the oral teachings of Torah, Rabbi Sadia Gaon took them on and wrote extensively in order to, number one, educate people about why it was necessary and why it was um, our intrinsic to our belief and our faith and our knowledge of Judaism that the oral Torah has to be part of what we call the written Torah, that it's all of Torah, the Talmud and all of that has to be included. He wrote extensively about it, extensively against the Karaite uh, philosophies and so on. And he was largely responsible for people staying on the right path, for people choosing correctly and not all wandering off and uh, perhaps becoming involved with the Karaites, with their um, newfound way of practicing Judaism and keeping things in um, their view to be correct. Rabbi Sadia Gaon almost single-handedly fought this battle. He also fought another battle. He was um, really at the forefront of fighting a battle about a new religion that had been founded at about that time, and that was Islam, founded by Muhammad um, and uh, the uh, whole thing of Islam and the Muslims and so on. And this became not necessarily only a challenge to um to uh, other religions in the world, but particularly to Judaism at a time when Judaism was a bit vulnerable, at a time when the Karaites had taken uh, taken foot and when there was a, a lot to be said for that. So people were questioning their faith, questioning their background, and here came a brand new religion, a brand new way of uh, looking at things and seeing things from uh, Muhammad, from the, from the Muslims, and so uh, there was a tendency or a possibility that many, many Jews uh, were going to be in their vulnerable state, um, possibly slipping into either the Karaites or uh, the newfound um, Islam. And he wrote extensively about that as well and stood up for Judaism, for Holy Torah Judaism at the time, writing extensively, making sure that people were well equipped and were well aware. And Rabbi Sadia Gaon went on to become one of the most famous sages of, of, of the time and certainly sages of all time um, because he um, moved from 
one place to the other. He was actually born in Egypt. He eventually wound up in Baghdad. And um, he uh, eventually died on the 26th of ER in 942, um, having lived only 60 years. It's amazing always when we th- think of and we see the relatively short lives um, that these great sages or many of these great sages lived and the in- tremendous, tremendous uh, impact that they had on their own times and for all times. And Rabbi Sadia Gaon was certainly in that uh, category. Now, his uh, life was uh, absolutely phenomenal, but there is a very, very beautiful and moving story about uh, Rabbi Sadia Gaon, which is worth relating, and that is that one uh, cold winter's morning, Two of his Talmudim, two of his pupils, were walking in the mountains and they came across a, heard a strange sound coming from over a hill. They went there, they went to investigate, and lo and behold, they saw their Rebbe, they saw Rabbi Sadia Gaon, their great teacher, they saw him sitting in the snow, in the cold, doing tshuva, repenting. And they said to him, why are you repenting? And he told them a very, very fascinating story. He said, I need to repent, as we all need to repent. And they said, but you, Rabbi, you are so great. You're a tzaddik. Why should you have to repent? And he said, let me tell you. He said, um, something happened to me a while ago. He said, at one point in my life, I decided that all the honor and attention that I was receiving from everyone around around me was interfering with my service of Hashem, God must be served with joy. Without complete humility, joy is impossible. So I decided that I'd spend several months in a place where no one recognized me. I dressed up in simple garments and began my uh, self-imposed exile, and I wandered from town to town, said Rabbi Sadia Gaon. And one night I came to a small inn, and there I was well treated by the balabos, um, by the uh, owner of the inn. He fed me, he looked after me, gave me a, a, a bed and so on, and I dive in chakras in the morning, and I said goodbye to him. Now, some of my pupils, some of my students had been hot on my trail and had been tracing me and tracking me. And they came to the scene and they said, has Rabbi Sadia Gaon been here? And the uh, guy in charge, the innkeeper, had told them, no, no, Rabbi Sadia Gaon was here. They described uh, me to them, to him, and he suddenly realized that it was actually Rabbi Sadia Gaon. He gave chase, caught up with me, and begged me for forgiveness. But I said to him, but you treated me so well. And he said, no. Had I known who you were, I would have served you even better. And he said, now this taught me an incredible, incredible lesson in the way that we serve Hashem. Had we really thought about who we are serving, we should have served God, God even better. And this was what he taught his, chul- his, his children, he taught his students at the time, the great Rabbi Sadia Gaon, his Yorzeit today. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. I told you right at the outset that today marks a number of different events. We spoke about Rabbi Sadia Gaon, whose Yorzeit is today. We spoke about that in the first segment. Now let's focus on 1747. What happened in 1747? Another Yorzeit of another famous man, another famous rabbi. His name was the Ramchal, as he is known. Um, the acronym for his name being Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato. And he was a philosopher, a Kabbalist, um, ethicist. He was born in Padua in Italy in 1707. Began, began to study Kabbalah under the tutelage of Rabbi Moshe Zakuto, one of the foremost Kabbalists of the generation. 
Um, he authored many, many works, many uh, works in Torah scholarship, including the most famous, uh, Derech Hashem, uh, in exposition of the fundamentals of Judaism. He left um, his native Italy in 1735 and became a gem cutter in Amsterdam. Um, however, it was not, there long, not long thereafter, in 1740, that he actually published his most famous work, which is known as Masilat Yesharim, Path of the Just. Um, and he then longed to be in Eretz Israel, in the Holy Land, and not long thereafter, in 1743, he went to Israel, settled in the town, the city called Akko. Um, however, sadly, his stay there was not that long, and uh, a few years later, in a plague, yes, plague, in a pandemic, at the age of 39, his entire family were actually wiped out um, in Akko, in Israel, in uh, 1747. He's buried in Tveria and Tiberias, right next to the tomb of Rabbi Akiva, the great sage Rabbi Akiva, the Ramchal. Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lozato. It is also the Yorzat of a much more recent, um, great, in 1857, Rabbi Isaac of Hommel, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Epstein, um, served as the rabbi of the town of Hommel in White Russia for 58 years. He was a leading figure in the first three generations of Chabad Hasidism. As a young man, he was attracted to the teachings of Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the first uh, Chabad Rebbe, and he became a devoted follower of the second and third Rebbe's, Rabbi Dov Ber and Rabbi Menachem Mendel. He authored a number of Hasidic works, including Shtei Hamaurus and Hanan Ariel. Now, let's fast forward to much more recent history, 1967. Well, what happened in 1967 on this day? The 26th day of Iyar. Do you know? Well, we celebrate something coming up in a couple of days' time that is now termed Yom Yerushalayim, the day of Jerusalem. Well, that should give you a clue. That also dates back to 1967. It was in the spring of 1967 that um, the Six-Day War actually began. It began on June the 5th, 1967, which was the 26th day of Iyar. Israel, um, of course, famously uh, made that preemptive strike on the massive Arab armies that were massing, um, both in the north and the south, all around us, surrounding us completely. And yes, a couple of days later, just a couple of days later, um, Jerusalem had been captured, the old city of Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, which was desecrated, which had uh, been in Jordanian hands, and they had destroyed the shuls, the yeshivas, Jewish life there, of course, we know the Jews weren't allowed um, to rebuild and to be there and so on. Um, they made sure that it was Judenrein, um, certainly in those days. And then 1967, on this day, no matter what um, the other sides might be saying, but a great and tremendous miracle took place, a wonderful, wonderful event that even... Um, the likes of which the, the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson, said that it was a biblical, a moment of biblical proportions and opportunity, the likes of which had not been granted for thousands of years because the Kotel was captured, the uh, whole area around there was captured, the old city of Jerusalem, and thousands of Jews were able to then flock to the Kotel and pray, putting on tefillin at the Kotel, singing, dancing, celebrating the um, incredible events 
of June 1967, um, which we celebrate um, with Yom Yerushalayim in a couple of days' time. But the war began, the six-day war, and it only lasted six days, began today, the 26th day of Iyar. So a momentous day for um, the Jewish people um, in of old, as well as, of course, in modern terms. But as we come towards this, uh, the end of the month of Iyar, we now start focusing ahead to the upcoming month of Sivan. Sivan, of course, is the month that will arrive in earnest on this coming Sunday. Yes, this coming Shabbat is Shabbat Mavarachim. We bless the new month of Sivan. There is only one day of Rosh Chodesh um, uh, for the month of Sivan, and Sivan will come in on Saturday night, Sunday, the 1st of Sivan. Which means that we are just around the corner for the end of Svira, and we're just around the corner for the beautiful Chag that is coming up um, end of next week called Shavuot, Shavuos. What is Shavuot and why is this so essential that we have this build-up? What is so essential and so pertinent and so important about these last few days and, of course, the build-up to Shavuot? Well, if we think about what Shavuot actually is, Shavuot is best known as being the name Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Why? We've counted seven weeks from the beginning of Pesach until Shavuot. It is the Chag that celebrates these weeks. Why these weeks? Well, it mirrors the time that the Jewish people had left Mitzrayim, they'd left Egypt, they'd crossed the Red Sea, and they were now in uh, the desert in earnest, and they were headed towards Mount Sinai. And by the way, they arrived at Mount Sinai on Rosh Chodesh Sivan. They arrived at Mount Sinai comes this Sunday, the date that they got there, and they began preparing then in earnest for the receiving of the Torah. But the date of Shavuot is also known as Yom Habikurim, because it's also the day of the first fruits. It's also known as Chag HaKatsir, the harvest festival. It's also known as Atzeret, the stoppage, time of stopping. And it's also known, of course, as Man Matan Toratenu, the time of the giving of our Torah. How can there be a Chag, a festival, that really has more in it than this upcoming Chag, this upcoming festival of Shavuot. It's a time when we receive the Torah. It's not only the time of weeks, it's not only the time of Bikurim, of uh, the first fruits, but it's the time of the receiving of the Torah. And if we think about the people that we mentioned before, from Rabbi Sadia Gaon, we think about uh, Rabbi um, um, the, the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, when we think about uh, Rabbi Isaac of Hommel, Rabbi Yitzchok Isaac Epstein, we think about um, the Six-Day War, and we think about everything that is represented by all of those incredible events that we celebrate on this particular day, and we think about the fact that None of this would have come about and none of this would have been possible and none of it would have had any relevance if it wasn't for the giving of the Torah, for the Torah being given to us, the Torah being given to us on Mount Sinai as it was those 3,330-odd years ago when the Torah was given to us at Mount Sinai. Um, and we became then a people in earnest, a people with a constitution, a people with a way of life, a people with so much to impart and so much to give the world, so much to teach and so much to, knowledge to be gained, and that we became then 
as my old Hebrew teacher always used to remind us, we became the people of the book. We became the people of the Torah. The people of the Torah, God's representatives on earth of Torah, of Kedusha, of holiness, of a spiritual uh, life, of a way of morality, of a way of ethics, of a way of governance that is completely and absolutely different to everything and everybody else and everything that came before it with its monotheistic uh, way about it and with its directions and with its daily life that all centers around the Torah and the study of the Torah and the knowledge of the Torah and the application of the Torah became relevant and became pertinent and became powerful during this coming week. It is something that is incredible when we think about the Chag of Shavuot. We often have uh, thought about, and uh, of course, Shavuot became a little bit of a forgotten Chag um, in many ways because it didn't have the matzahs and the cleaning and the uh, preparations and uh, the Pesach Seder and so on that Pesach has. And it didn't have the sukkah and a little of an esrog that sukkahs has. And the third of these pilgrim festivals, kind of wedged in the middle, has to be in many, many ways even more powerful and more spiritual and more essential in a way than the other Chagim. Um, not that we have to be comparing one to the other. Each one has its own uh, particular relevance. But the Chag of Shavuot, which we, uh, dare I say, has the most powerful and most uh, all-encompassing kind of a rationale and a reason and the reason behind it because of Zman Matan Torah, the time of our uh, receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's what we have coming up in the next week with this beautiful Chag of Shavuot, this festival of Shavuot, of Shavuot, festival of weeks, festival of the giving of the Torah, the receiving of the Torah, and much more importantly, the culmination of all the preparation that we have done, because that's what these seven weeks have actually been all about. It's not just a harvest where we f walk forward and we can reap the fruits of our labors um, automatically. There's some hard work that goes into harvesting. There's some hard work that goes into the preparation of the produce that you're going to harvest. And likewise, there is hard work that goes into being Jewish. There's hard work that goes into preparing for Matan Torah Tenu, for the giving of our Torah, for the receiving of our Torah. And it's something that we need to, and we have been focusing on. And so the culmination of these seven weeks of getting ourselves ready, of preparing our souls, of making sure that we are fit and ready to stand around Mount Sinai once again. We approach Mount Sinai with that kind of awesomeness and trepidation and looking forward as we do over the next week. And as we stand at Mount Sinai once again, hopefully um, in the coming week, we will re-receive the Torah, celebrate its grandeur and its influence on our lives and on everything that comes with it. And we look forward, therefore, to a wonderful time up ahead and the advent of the Chag, the festival of Shavuot. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So in these days of uh, completing the Sfira and now coming closer to Shabbat and getting closer to the month of Sivan, we probably need to spend some time focusing on preparing correctly for Shavuot, preparing correctly for Shavuot. Probably and possibly one of the best known things about Shavuot is milchik foods, milk foods. Well, we don't need to do that much pre preparation. On the contrary, it is something that... Um, was possibly 
the very reason, or one of the very reasons why we do have milchika foods, or we eat milchika foods on Shavuot. Um, and that is that the Jewish people, when they stood at Mount Sinai and they received the Torah for the first time, and everything that uh, came to them came at once, and even though they only had literally the Ten Commandments that was uh, spelled out for them, but they heard everything, and they knew intrinsically that they needed to change their kashrut, their dietary laws, and therefore they realized that the easiest thing to prepare um, on that particular day was milchika foods, which they had milk foods, rather than having to slaughter animals and kasha meat and do all that sort of stuff. And therefore they ate milchiks on that day. The custom today is that we eat milchik foods not all the time on Shavuot, although a lot of people seem to think that that is what it's really all about. No, we still have to have our Yom Tov meals. We have Yom Tov meals on the evenings of Shavuot as well as on the days of Shavuot, first day being Friday, the second day being Shabbat of not this week but the following week, and we need to make sure that we have those properly prepared Yom Tov meals ready. We also have Milchik's um, particularly after the Torah reading on the first day of Shavuot, on lunchtime kind of, on uh, Shavuot day, the Friday, in order to make sure that we keep up with that custom of eating milchiks um, and the ideas behind it, which wasn't only about uh, kashras, but it was a whole lot of other uh, rhymes and reasons for the milchik foods. But it's not an instead of the regular Yom Tov meals, it's rather as an addition to. And that's one of the things that we need to be thinking about in preparation. But it's much more than that. It's not just about what we eat. It's really about conditioning ourselves and thinking about how we truly value Torah. And I'd like to come back to the story that I told right at the beginning of Rabbi Sadia Gaon, whose Yorzat is today, that um, he learned from the man who told him, had I known it was you, I would have served you better. Um, he said, but you served me so well. You were a perfect host. And he said, no, but it wasn't with the knowledge of who I was serving, and therefore uh, my service might have been just average. It might have been just for anybody. And we've got to think about just how hard and how much we should apply ourselves to make sure that we serve God correctly, not just with our shul services, but serving Hashem with every one of his mitzvahs, every one of the ways that he gave us to connect to him, and every letter of his holy Torah, and every letter of the Torah um, in the oral Torah, in the Talmud, in the Gemara, and all the things that we have learned from these great sages that we mentioned before. We've got to make sure that we do our best, we do our utmost to prepare ourselves correctly and be match fit, match ready when it comes to Shavuot so that we can carry all of these things forward in our lives. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Our sages have taught us that it was in the third month that God gave a threefold Torah to a threefold people. The third month, of course, is the month of Sivan. We're now in the second month. If we go according to the counting of the months, we've got to know, and we remember from our discussion about the Jewish calendar, that the first month is Nisan, the month in which Pesach occurs, in which we got out of Egypt. We then have the second month, which was the month, is the month that we're in at the moment, the 26th day today of Iyar, second month in the counting of the months. The third month is the month of Sivan. And coming up, um, the festival of Shavuot that takes place in it with the Matan Torah Tenu was given in the third month, Dafka. And it was given 
in a threefold way, threefold Torah. What's the threefold Torah? Well, there was the Torah as it was written down on the stones, the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. There was the Torah as it was written um, in ink on parchment, the five books of Moshe, Moses' five books, the written law. And then we've got the oral law, the third phase or the third uh, level of Torah, everything that was given orally that wasn't necessarily written down originally. Many of it, much of it has been canonized and written down thereafter. And so we've got the three-phase Torah or the three phases of Torah that were given to a threefold people. It's a threefold people. Well, we could say threefold people is um, Kohanim, Levim, and Yisraelim. But remember, in the time, the people actually were um, 12 tribes. And so we don't say to the 12 tribes, but we say to the three-phase people, the threefold people. And therefore, we're talking about Anashim, Nashim, and Taf, as it says in Torah. It was given to men, to women, and children. All men, all women, and all children have the exact same access to Torah and have the same a link to the to Torah and have the same obligation to serve God with our Torah and our mitzvot. And we've got to make sure that we are involved, therefore, in the build-up to Shavuot and on Shavuot itself, hearing the Torah being re-given to us, um, being in shul on Shavuot to hear the reading of the Aseris Adibris or the Ten Commandments come Friday a week. And we look forward to a wonderful week up ahead. We look forward to a great Shabbat Mavarchim. Good Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh, as we said, is on Sunday. And uh, a great rest of the week. And I look forward to being back with you same time, same place again next week in another um, build-up to Shavuot episode of Judaism 101.9. Take care.